Here's what's coming up on this week's show. I've been in situations where I've been with very aggressive negotiators. I know that they're very aggressive and I make a point of sitting right next to them. The Beat. Welcome to the Big Little Business Show, the podcast that helps small business think big. Hey, hey, how you doing? Welcome to the Big Little Business Show. It's Paul Mumford over here, the lovely Claire Horsley over there. Paul, I'd like to ask you a question. Have you started your Christmas shopping yet? No, not really. Well, yeah, kind of. What's kind of mean? Does that mean you've thought about it and kidded yourself that actually you've started? Well, it's kind of easy for me because my wife luckily loves doing Christmas shopping. So she's quite happy to do as much of it as possible. And I'm happy to let her do that. Obviously, I need to do her Christmas shopping and buy her stuff. Uh, but I do listen to what she tells me when she drops hints throughout. She's good at dropping hints yeah. when she drops hints throughout the year and I write stuff down. So I've got a list in my head of all the stuff that I'm going to buy for her, but I just haven't ordered it yet. OK, well, I suggest you do because, yes, a lot more people are. Um, I will check up on you with that one. Uh, I've started. Yes, I've got a list of all the <laughs> gifts that I'm going to be uh, getting people. And uh, I'm doing most of it on Amazon, to be honest, online. There's a big push at the moment, and I can understand why. For Certainly on Facebook, there's a big push for people to start shopping locally for Christmas stuff, as well as using the big stores, because obviously um, there are lots of small businesses which are struggling as shops are closed at the moment uh, and I know it's a big struggle maybe this is a subject we should have uh, on the podcast at some point about how to set up an online shop because um, it's actually one of those things that a lot of people are thinking oh I need to be doing that but would not know where to start yeah I, I, yeah I completely agree there's I, I do plan on having a couple of trips out um, to have a look you know to support the shops that we have but it's very difficult it's very tricky but at the same time I know a lot of people are maybe have closed the shops but then have an online shop and maybe are looking at ways to develop that and improve that because now they're so restricted about what they can do so I think it'd be great to have somebody to talk about that. Oh it's a great idea we'll have to part that now every week on the show we have an industry expert or an entrepreneur on who can help us understand how we can make our business bigger how we can think big within our business and help us to grow perhaps into the new year. Uh, This week's guest is a little bit interesting as well what are we talking about this week? We're talking about the power of negotiation. Yeah, now I didn't really think that this is something that perhaps we all need to learn a little bit more about. But when you start delving into the subject, the skill of being a good negotiator is really important in business, isn't it? It is. And I've always thought of negotiation with houses. You negotiate housing prices or, you know, the, the real estate market. But actually, I really had no real appreciation of how important negotiation is. Yeah. And when we did this interview a few weeks ago, um, it's not until you start delving into the subject that you realise that actually we're negotiating all the time. Even as children, we're negotiating. Life is about negotiation, isn't it? You're so right. It really is. So tell us a little bit about our guest. Who have we got on the show this week? So Christine uh, McKay is from California. She's the CEO at at Venn Negotiation and what she does is is just that. It supports businesses and companies to negotiate the right deal for both parties. This is the Big Little Business Show. I grew up in north central Montana on a tiny ranching town um, in rural Montana. Had a really successful high school career and then when I was 19 I discovered I was pregnant and Um, ended up living in the back of my 1972 Chrysler Newport and having three kids at 22 and 
married to a not nice guy who I thought was nice when I first got married to him and was living on uh, on government assistance for many, many years and doing my grocery shopping at local food banks and boiling water for my daughters to have baths because we couldn't afford to, to heat the house. And I finally hit a breaking point one day and decided I needed to get an education. And so I did. And ultimately that launched me into um, doing this international mergers and acquisitions work after I had graduated with a finance degree. I remarried and have am married, been married to my amazing husband for 27 years and uh, started doing uh, negotiation work when I was doing international mergers and acquisitions and fell in love with it and decided I wanted to pursue that as a career. But it was a weird career to have because there's not really a job description called negotiator very much unless you're uh, working in uh, the FBI or governments doing international trade negotiations. So I've kind of created a, a different path for myself and launched my company, Venn Negotiation, uh, out of a passion for working with small businesses, helping them to level the playing field when they're negotiating with companies that they perceive as having more power than they do. So do you think it's really possible to get um, anything through the power of good negotiation? I think everything comes through the power of good negotiation, which good negotiation, just to be clear, because I, I can imagine some listeners, because I've, I've seen it before, people, there are a lot of people who just hate the idea of negotiation, but the reality is negotiation is about relationship and, and a contract negotiation in particular, or any negotiation is essentially about the hope of a better future together, that there's something that, that you have that I want, and that by working together, we're able to have mutual benefit. And it's that hope for mutual benefit that drives or should drive the relationship. And when you think about think about negotiation from that perspective, it creates a change in terms of how you move forward and kind of how you kind of approach the conversation, because that's all it is. Negotiation is a conversation about a relationship. It's one of those skills that a lot of small businesses, not that they don't think they need it, but perhaps they don't even consider it as something they should be Jenning up and and researching it's a but it's a weird thing isn't it negotiation i mean when you teach negoti negotiation to small businesses do you have to consider a bit about the business and a bit about the personality of the person that you're coaching perhaps oh ab absolutely so the business what the business is is critical so how you approach the negotiation depends on what you are what your business is the type of business that you have the philosophies that you have around running and operating your business your strategic goals even your exit strategy matters when you're starting to think about what your negotiation strategies are going to be. And your negotiation style and how you communicate to others is critical in terms of your ability to get more of what you, you want out of your negotiation. So we do a lot around understanding the business, teaching people how to think about their business in a different way from a negotiation perspective. And then we do a lot of work around helping people understand the different communication attributes and the different negotiation styles so that they can start to 
move among the different negotiation styles and use them more intentionally versus doing what most of us do, which is just default to a style that we actually started developing and perfected by the time between the ages of seven and 13. So yeah, I don't if, for listeners who have kids or if you ever were a child, which you were, um, obviously, <laughs> uh, you, if you think back into that time frame of when we were, you know, in that seven to, to 13 range, and some might even say to 15, but we, we developed a negotiation style. We figured out how to get what we wanted and what style worked for us to get more of what we wanted. And so we kind of just carry that style through with us without actually thinking about, is this style working for me in this situation? Or should I bring forward an, another style that I also possess? It's just not my default. That's interesting. I've never really thought of it, thought of it in that way before. But yes, you're right, I guess. Uh, hey, if you've got kids, you know what they're like at negotiating. <laughs> um, but so do you have to look into that a little bit and look a little bit into their background to sort of get an idea of what kind of a negotiator they are already? Yes. Yeah, so there are a number of different things. So when I'm going to be negotiating with somebody, I research them quite extensively. So I'll look at their LinkedIn if they're, they have public things on their, their Facebook, essentially all their social media, I'll look at their social media. I'll look at any press releases that the companies released with, or, or they as individuals have released to get a handle on strategy. Um, I'll look, I'll research the industry to kind of figure out, is there a way that, you know, people are accustomed to behaving in an industry and, and the industry kind of standard behavior is not always like I go in and sometimes I'm not an expert in the industry that I'm negotiating and that can be beneficial. But when it comes to individuals and understanding the personality or the, the negotiation style, not so much the personality, but the negotiation style, there are a few things that I look for. And we've just broken it down into two buckets. People are either traditional style communicators or modern, more modern communicators and traditional communicators tend to, like I liken them to, you know, 1950s Americana, you know, they tend to be more formal, they do business on a handshake, they're structured, they tend to like meetings, they tend to like emails, and they write out, you know, sometimes lengthy emails, whereas the modern communicator is essentially the opposite of those things. They tend to not like meetings at all. They prefer bulleted communications and texting. Uh, they tend to make decisions much more quickly and are more action driven. Um, they tend to are more intuitive, either based on experience or deep levels of knowledge in a subject matter. And so I'll look when it comes to communication attributes, I will look to figure out through social media, which one somebody is and it and it is and I understand that it is a it's a very broad bucket both of those buckets are very huge but the reason why I put them into those two buckets is to really simplify it because sometimes I don't have sometimes you don't when you're in negotiation you don't have a lot of time so it's like okay really quickly can I go to LinkedIn or social media and figure out what this how this person communicates so if you see on LinkedIn, if you go to somebody's LinkedIn profile and you see something that's written out that they have a long, a long written, you know, description of who they are and they put all their initials after their names, their CPA, MBA, whatever, those tend to be more traditional communicators. 
the modern communicator may have no summary whatsoever, or if they do, it's very short or in, and maybe in bullet points, they may have only their last two or three jobs, maybe the last five to 10 years on their, on their LinkedIn. And so just that gives me an indicator. Now, the thing about all negotiation is that when you're doing kind of the research stage, you're all, it's all about developing a hypothesis about who your counterpart is. So that gives me a set of hypotheses about who my counterpart is. So then when I engage with that person, then I have to test whether that, those hypotheses are right. So I look at those communication attributes as a way of kind of developing a very high level hypothesis. And it informs how I'm going to initiate my engagement with that counterpart. Because if somebody is more traditional, then I want to communicate with them in a, him or her in a more traditional way, because it's an easy way for me get, to get a very quick yes, to, to, have, to develop some goodwill, to communicate on their level and in their way builds, starts to build a relationship. And negotiation is all about getting a series of yeses. So that's an easy way to get a yes. Wow, this is fascinating. So you really do have to do quite a lot of research beforehand, not just from your perspective as a, as a coach, but also I guess you would need to do that kind of research for someone that you're negotiating with. And it is all about, I mean, Clay, you'd know an awful lot about this. This is all about understanding people's personality and getting uh, getting a, a sense of how they tick and a sense of their background. Don't you think so, Claire? And I think it just comes down to, again, like identifying a need to offer a solution because you need to be talking in the same language. So you can be talking a certain way to one potential client, but if they're a really detailed person, then you would need to be focusing maybe more so on, you know, the, the figures, for example, and the real detail of it. But if people just want a quick answer then you would, you know, adapt what you were talking about um, accordingly. So do you think um, anyone can be a good negotiator? So I think anyone can be a good negotiator. I think that there, that at some point in the past, all of us were good negotiators at some point. And then over time, as we got different external reinforcement, um, we we embraced the concept of negotiation or we started to reject the concept of negotiation. And, and even there are those people who think that they're really good negotiators, but they're actually not. They just take a lot and kind of beat up their counterparts a lot, which is not good negotiating. But everyone has the potential. I believe that everyone has the potential to be a good negotiator. The, the trick is, is whether or not people want to be one. <laughs> yeah, that's very true. You have to, I guess you have to have a level of confidence uh, or project a level of confidence when you're going into a negotiation, uh, but at the same time, not a bit cocky, I guess. Uh, yes, I agree with that 100%. And for me, and through the course of my career, confidence comes not from personality necessarily, but from the, your confidence in what you're asking. It's about knowing knowing, having clarity on what it is that you want and being well-researched in terms of being able to justify or explain why you want, because you're trying to influence somebody to your way of thinking. And the way you do that is being certain, not certain, but cl clear in terms of what it is that, that you want and how you're going to ask for it. 
Yeah, this is reminding me, actually, when you were, you talked about the children, there's so much in life that we negotiate as well. So we are all negotiating, I guess, to a certain degree. Um, but then obviously in business, it's, it's slightly different. But I, I'm just thinking my children negotiated some sweets for me tonight. And I'm actually <laughs> reflecting upon that and wondering actually how that happened. They know how to negotiate that with me, but yet they would actually have a different style for grandparents. Yes. And I guess that's kind of what we're saying here, because there's two... Two different dynamics, two different personalities, and they've learned to adapt their ultimate outcome according to the person. So I guess that's what we're talking about here, aren't we? They learn that stuff really quick as well, Christine, don't they? Yes, they do. And and we all know how to do it. That's that's kind of my point. We all know how to do this. And, you know, you, you Claire, must have agreed to give them sweets because there was some benefit to you in getting them. <laughs> yeah. Either you got them to <laughs> you, <laughs> quit bugging you <laughs> or whatever, but there was something about the request though that resonated with you. Otherwise you wouldn't have given it. It did. And it's because it's Sweet Friday. Sweet, I don't allow them sweets and it's Sweet Friday, but you always say on a Friday we can have sweets. They'd got me, hadn't they? I can't <laughs> wait till lockdown's <laughs> over then, Claire. I'll come around your house every Friday. <laughs> Trust me, by the time you get here, they'll all be gone, Paul. I love that. So it seems to me, Christine, that actually the more research you can do beforehand, not necessarily just about the uh, whatever you're negotiating for, but also the person that you're negotiating with, uh, the more you have to go into the negotiation with, the, yeah, the better. Absolutely. Like I said, negotiation is about getting to a series of yeses and you do that based off of a, a bunch of hypotheses that you go into the negotiation with. And once you've engaged with your counterpart, it's all about testing your hypotheses. And that is the part that people are not very good at. And that's true even for large companies that people do not research enough and do not have enough clarity, which is why a lot of times you'll hear big companies say, so you'll, you know, they'll send a contract over, you know, put forward a deal. And somebody might say, well, I don't, why, 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 you know, and um, they'll say, oh, it's because this is how we do things. Well, that's not clear. There's no clarity in terms of why that's important. It's like, that doesn't, like if I'm negotiating with somebody and they say, well, it's just because we ha that's how we do things. I'm like, that's not a sufficient answer because I can't, I can't do anything with that. That doesn't bring me forward. It doesn't pull me into kind of the thinking on my, my counterpart side. And that's what you're trying to do with the negotiation is bring people into your thought process. So what about if you're in a situation where you haven't been able to do any prep beforehand and you're going into a negotiation, perhaps a little bit more on the fly? Um, are there any um, behavioral or language cues that you can look out for, which kind of give you some, give you a roadmap along the way so you know how your negotiation's going? So the biggest thing and most, most important thing is to ask good questions. Because even if you are not prepared in the negotiation and maybe something has come up very quickly and you just find yourself in a negotiation and a lot of small businesses are negotiating when they don't even realize it. And so I'll have a lot of small businesses say, well, I don't really negotiate. I'm like, you're negotiating. You just aren't realizing it. Um, but asking good questions is really important. So one question never to ask is why? Because why 
of when somebody says, well, why did you, or why won't you, or why will you, why, whatever. If you think about how you react, if somebody says to you, why, it automatically puts us in a defensive position. And so one of my mentors, Blair Dunkley, who's out of Edmonton, Canada, he has this whole thing around mind models and he talks about the importance of what and how questions and how why puts us into this defensive state. And since I've been working with him, I have been testing this frequently and it is it is astonishing how why puts us into this defensive place. And so asking what and how questions allows you to gather information at the point of negotiation, when you're at the proverbial negotiation table, asking what might we do, what might we do now kind of things. How might we do this? How might we do this now? So you put some specificity on timing. You put, you might create openness. It allows you to, it allows people to think more broadly than even saying, what should we do? So what should we do implies that there's one answer. What might we do invites options. When you're in a negotiation and you're, you, you go, oh, I'm in a negotiation, I'm not prepared. Use what and how questions, use might instead of should and would, and ask and put timing around it for specificity to say now, what might we, what might we do now? How might we do that now? It's extraordinary, isn't it? The power of the words just by changing one word has such a different message. Um, and I completely agree with you. The word why to me is instant, uh, sort of questionable or, you know, possible critique. So I can, yeah, completely agree with you uh, with, with that. So I'm just thinking as we're talking, um, I've been having a lot of conversations with my own clients about how they're going to be pivoting their businesses and how they're going to be offering their services, maybe not face-to-face anymore, but through, uh, you know, using the internet and online working. Um, what's your thoughts with uh, the power of negotiation online or face-to-face? Do you think there's one in particular that works better for you or do you think it's possible to achieve the same outcomes on both both platforms? So I think that it is possible to achieve the same outcomes on both platforms. And I've been doing negotiation online for almost 20 years. I rarely travel to negotiate in person. And part of the reason for that is that when I'm negotiating with a large company, they may have a distributed negotiation team that sits in Ireland, India, and Texas. So they don't even get together and when in, in the negotiation process. So the notion of virtual negotiation is not is a common thing, is a normal thing for me. But there are definitely things. So I will, if I'm if I'm engaging with a counterpart, I will use Zoom. I will always have my camera on, even if my counterpart doesn't. And Part of that is to create open, open, create an open and transparent a perception of open, openness and transparency. Um, and so that's huge. The other thing, though, is that according to a UCLA study, University of uh, California, Los Angeles study many years ago, um, when you think about communication, uh, 7% of communication is about the words that we speak. 38% is about 
our pace of speech and our tone. And 55% is about our nonverbals. So when you're not on camera, you lose the opportunity to communicate 55% of fish. You lose 55% of your effective communication because you lose sight of that, those nonverbals. So when I'm on Zoom and I'm engaged with my counterparts, I sit away from my camera so they can see more of my upper body and I use props. So I'll use a notepad or uh, a, a whiteboard, a small whiteboard, because the thing that you lose when you move negotiation from three dimensions to two dimensions is you, you lose the, that kind of spont spontaneous collaboration and you, where you might get up and go to a whiteboard or sit next to each other and, and draw something out in a notebook. So using a small whiteboard or a notepad and have, doing that same thing in a two-dimensional environment helps to bridge some of that, 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 that you, those things that you lose when you're not in person. Um, so it's not exactly the same, but I personally don't feel that negotiating online is any less or more effective than negotiating in person. Do you feel there's a time limit on how far you can go to negotiate a deal? Because sometimes you do hear stories about negotiations have gone on for a very long time. Do you think there's a particular time frame of when it's best to draw the line, so to speak? I think that varies. So I've been in negotiation. Like I, I, I had a negotiation with BT once, one of my favorite favorite companies to deal with, um, and it it lasted for three and a half years. Um, and so that's a long phone call. I mean, I've been on hold with BT for quite some time, but three and a half years is going to be a record. <laughs> but it, it took us a long time to get to a deal. So there's kind of two different points on the timing. So there's the when you like the overall negotiation from my perspective the when you're in a negotiation that long there's something about a policy or procedure that's driving the need to have a documented agreement that gets that that can take a while to get to as in as long as it's not impacting your ability to do business together then those conversations can go on you know for as long as they go on in a in a meeting where we're we're in kind of like we set it set up a call and we're going to have a negotiation meeting to discuss you know whatever it is we're discussing i'm huge on having an agenda so what are we talking about how long is it going to be what are the desired outcomes what's the expected outcome and then that gives us something and then i send that out in advance and say, this is what I have on the kind of the docket that we're going to talk about. And, you know, do you have anything else that you want to add? So I give my counterparts the opportunity to influence the agenda for the meeting. And then we have the meeting, I follow the agenda. And then at the end, then I write up notes and say, this is what we covered. This is what we agreed. This is what we didn't, this is what's still open. And these are next steps and who owns what next, what action item. And so, but in the meeting, it's uh, it, in a specific meeting, it is all about making sure that I have an agenda and I do not answer my phone randomly from somebody who I'm engaged in a negotiation with. I always roll that to voicemail 
that I make sure that my head is in the right space and I'm driving that conversation. I just want to rewind a little bit and go back to the whole body language thing, because I do find that quite fascinating. Uh, let's just say you're going into a negotiation with someone for the first time. You might have done a little bit of research about them first, and maybe you're sitting in a, a real setting and you're across a table to them. Um, are there certain ways that you should present your body language and are there certain ways you should dress even? So there, I mean, there, there's a, there is a huge school of thought around nonverbal or nonverbal communication and how to you know, garner power. And some of that is driven based on the culture that you're in, um, where people, the, kind of the power positions at a table and all of that. I tend to take my lead from my counterpart. So I'll have done research and part of my research on my counterpart is talking to people who we may have in common in our network. So just because I, I didn't actually mention that, but that is something that I, I do as well. So, or, and understanding kind of the situation. So I've been in situations where I've been with very aggressive negotiators. I know that they're very aggressive and I make a point of sitting right next to them. At the, right next to them at the table. And I always wait until, if I know that I'm going to be negotiating with somebody that's really aggressive and I'm in person, I will wait till that person sits down before I take a seat. Because if that person is really aggressive, then I want to, I want to match that level. It's so much deeper than I expected it to be, this conversation. I mean, I expected it to be very interesting. When you sort of dig right down into it, even that little things like you were saying about sitting next to the person, uh, so you meet them at, at a level that that you're you're meeting almost meeting them face to face. It's almost like a virtual face off, isn't it? So you're not you're not below. You don't feel like you're intimidated by that person, or you don't show that you're intimidated by that person. But at the same time, you don't want to show that that you're you're um, above them either. I guess. Hmm. I mean, a really great example of this is my oldest daughter is a nanny, and she was working with a family. And it wasn't working out. And she, my daughter decided that she was going to give her notice. And they had they had a contract in place. And the family, the, the, the deal was that if she, she would give four weeks notice and she'd get paid for that four weeks and that would give them time to, to find a replacement. And they decided they weren't going to pay her. So she had to go into this negotiation and, and it was going to be the husband and the wife and then my daughter. And I told her, I said, do not sit down. And if you feel that you need support, stand like behind the kitchen island, stand behind something that you can lean into to give you, to ground you, to help you feel centered, focused, and empowered. But sitting down where, she, and she's short, so sitting down with two people in kind of a, what she was anticipating to be a hostile situation um, was not going to was not going to serve her. It was going to, she was going to feel intimidated. So for her, it's like stand up and stand behind something to give yourself some additional power. And, and it worked really well for her. So understanding who you are in the negotiation is, is as important, if not more important than even understanding your counterpart. Cause you can use questions to learn more about your counterpart as you go. But knowing who you are as a negotiator is critical. So if you feel weak, you know, think about the things that help feel, make you feel stronger when you're in a communication or in a situation and, and do those things. 
um, you know, if you, if you are in a lot of times people will get super aggressive in a negotiation when they are in a weak position. So pay attention to that because if you start to get very aggressive in your negotiation, think about do, am I operating out of a position of, of weakness and I'm trying to overcompensate for it. Um, or if your counterpart is behaving in an obnoxious way, it could be because they don't have any power and they're just trying to bully you into thinking that they do. This is fascinating. It is, isn't it? Wow. It's, yeah, it's fascinating. Okay, so this is going to be a bit of a tricky question, um, I think, Christine, but uh, if you could pick maybe three main points um, as to what you feel are really important for people to be bearing in mind if they're negotiating or looking to maybe upskill themselves to be a better negotiator, what what would they be? Well, the first one is be clear on what you want. So that, that clarity is critically important. You cannot get a second person to, you cannot influence somebody to your idea or giving you something that you want um, if you can't be clear in, in defining what that is. And in that clarity, you have to know what how important things are so that you're giving away unimportant things in exchange for important things. So be clear in what it is that you want. The, the second thing is really understand how to ask in a, and ask in a way that invites your counterpart to problem solve with you, to get you to a solution and you know, be flexible and listen. And so really be clear and then be flexible, be li listen, be clear, listen with intent is usually what I say, listen with intent and be flexible so that you can get to a solution. Well, that was a fascinating com. I just, I have almost have to pause after you've spoken, Christine, just to sort of yeah, to digest it. Yeah. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I, I think Claire's made a lot of notes. I'm assuming you have because I know you like making your notes, Claire. <laughs> you know me. You know me. I've got a full page there. Thank you, Christine. So we finish off as ever with a, a set of questions that are inspired by uh, the questions that James Lipton always used to ask at the end of the US show inside the Actors Studio. Totally unrelated to anything we've just been talking about, but it's always a bit fun and uh, fast becoming one of my favorite parts of the of the podcast because well we always get some fascinating answers here um so i'm gonna uh, are you ready for these by the way Christine? i'm ready i'm yeah, ready guys she, she sounds really ready um <laughs> it's a little bit scary actually that was with conviction <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah bring it on right so what's your favorite smell christine oh the smell of diesel Okay, that's, this needs an explanation. <laughs> so my parents uh, were school bus drivers or are school bus drivers in my little town in, in Montana. And every morning we'd get up, my dad would turn on the bus and, and we were always the first ones on, but he'd start the bus to warm it up because it gets so cold. And I just always loved coming out in the morning to get on the bus to go to school. And it was always the smell of diesel. And it just always just, it was just kind of because it was a quiet time in the morning that I got to have with my dad as he drove us, drove us before we picked up the first of the other kids. And, and so, yeah, so smell of diesel. Just goes to show the power of the senses, doesn't it? Because I think I feel Paul, like since you've been asking this question, 
it's so interesting when people come up with their favourite smell and then how it so that it's associated with a happy um, emotional memory. Do you think? Oh, almost all the time we have that come out. Uh, you know, the, it, when it's a smell, it's a smell associated with. A memory yeah. of some kind. Oh, and yeah. funnily enough, it's not the first time diesel has come out as an answer either. Well, my other answer would really blow your socks off. My other answer would be burning hair because I grew up on a ranch and we used to brand <laughs> cattle. We used to brand cattle. And every every April, we'd have this huge branding party where people from all over the region would come and help us brand cows. And it was this, and it was this big party and with cowboys and... And my mom had cook, and it was a thing. And so that, that is, that's probably even a weirder smell to actually like. I guarantee you that doesn't matter how many years we do this podcast for, <laughs> no one's going to say burning hair again. That's the first time and the last. <laughs> okay, favorite movie. Favorite movie. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy. Oh, now we haven't had that. I'm surprised we haven't had that as an answer because that's a classic. It's just so good. And Gary Oldman is just amazing. Oh, my God. It's just one of my favorite movies. I love the it, – it's just incredibly well done, it, the the history behind it. The it just I just love that movie. I don't think uh, Gary Oldman's capable of being in a bad film. Well, I don't know. The second Planet of the Apes film wasn't the greatest. Uh, but <laughs> Generally speaking, though, I agree with you about Gary Oldman. He is one of my favourites. Uh, what about the most famous person you've ever met? Um, most famous person I've ever met, well, I met him virtually, um, was Les Brown. Oh, well, that, yeah, that, I think you, how did you meet virtually? So how did that happen? Mm-hmm. Talk us through that. He was speaking at an event. And the event organizer invited me to ask him a question. So I shared this, the screen with Les Brown. Oh, wow. Okay. So what did you, can you remember what you, what you asked him? Yeah. Um, so what did I ask him? I think I asked him, like, what, what was something that he learned, that, that he kind of wished that he knew now that he would, that he wished he'd not done. That, that the rest of us could avoid doing. <laughs> and what, what did he say? Have to, I don't remember. <laughs> <Isn't that terrible? laughs> I mean, the thing is, is that living in Los Angeles, I have, there's, I, we run into famous people all the time and I, I don't pay very much attention to them. Oh, yeah, yeah, I suppose not. Uh, yeah, you kind of, it, it's almost like, oh, there's another famous person. You don't really think about it in that way. Oh, I guess, I guess so. It's a good answer though. Uh, so final question then, before we wrap up here, um, if heaven exists... What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You made the most of the life I gave you. Oh, I love that. That is really good. One life and that I made the most out of it. And do you think do you think he'd be right? I think I haven't achieved all the things that I've been I meant to achieve yet. No, that's true. Yeah, because you're still here. Exactly. Thank you, Christine. That has been so interesting. Mm, thank you. Before we wrap up, uh, always good to get a little bit of a plug in. So, where can people find you? How can people come and say hi and throw more questions your way, or uh, or maybe work with you? Yes. So they can go to our website at vennegotiation.com. So V E N N negotiation it looks weird because there are three ends in it um there there's actually a quiz on our website that people can take to learn their default negotiation style if they want to do that um and uh you can just reach out to us uh, on the website to uh to talk to us some more 
This is the Big Little Business Show, the podcast with bigger tips for small business. One of the big things that I took from that is we negotiate every single day, but not just in business, in life. And it reminded me of how my children actually negotiate with me. It's kind of spooked me out a bit, to be honest. <laughs> are you looking out for it a little bit more now? I'm now. I'm like, what are you trying to do? What? How are you trying to come to this agreement about the sweets? <laughs> but it's um, very interesting, no matter what age you are, and for whatever it's for, it's, I believe, a life skill that we all have from a very young age. I love that the thing you were talking about, how uh, your children would negotiate with you differently to how they negotiate with their grandparents. That's so true, and they, they learn that from a really young age too. That was a real wake-up call for me, and it's how it shows the power of the mind and how quickly us as human beings adapt to different situations and work out our audience which as I said whether that's grandparents parents or a a different business we adapt our communication depending on who it's directed to and Christine came out with so many great tips about how to go into a negotiation how to do all that prep beforehand and understand a little bit about the person that you're going to be negotiating with making sure that you go into the negotiation sort of mirroring those behaviors a little bit and even down to the thing that she was that story she told about her daughter and how her daughter did that negotiation and that just that little tip about standing behind the kitchen cabinets just just gives you a little bit more power and that's that body language thing it's so important it's a fascinating topic yeah it was i found myself digesting and processing it every time christy was speaking because i was thinking yeah that makes sense i know i had to like stop and like take oh hang on a minute let me just digest let me take that in and then we go to the next question yeah brilliant no needless to say lots of notes made (laughs) and as usual a great story at the end with her dad mum and dad and the the the, why she loved diesel smells so much that's probably that's the second time we've had diesel as a favorite smell i know it is we interviewed uh, brett a few weeks ago and we were talking about the jaffa cake do you remember oh yeah you mean brett sanders with the biscuit yeah um it was um the episode about how to build a business from your kitchen table one of the questions we ask at the end and we didn't do it with christine today is what's your favorite biscuit and then brett's answer was jaffa cakes and then he came out with this story about how jaffa cakes went to court uh, because they had to determine whether it was a cake or a biscuit. So there is a f- sort of a final answer about that. Yeah, this is a conversation that keeps coming back time and time and again. Um, and I just wanted to share something with you from one of our listeners. Uh, his name is Keith Scorer. Yeah. Keith listened to that episode about the Jaffa cake and was quite intrigued about the conversation. And he said that when cakes go stale, they harden and when biscuits go stale they do the opposite and get softer so jaffa cakes go hard which therefore then make them a cake oh that's fantastic yes he's right how cool is that that is so true biscuits go so i don't mind a slightly stale biscuit i have to say oh no i don't yeah i like custard cream when it's gone a little bit soft oh no stop that's horrible (laughs) don't like it no no stop that's a really interesting little Thing, though he's picked up on there i like that it is yeah so i just thought i would let you know that the, the the conversations are still continuing with regards to whether jaffa cake is a cake or a biscuit brilliant thank you keith for letting us know about that we love that and we love you getting in touch and uh, people get in touch with us all the time connect with us on social media uh come and say hi or uh, they just listen to the show and let us know they're listening and we like to big them up in a special way at the end of every show uh by giving them a little bit of a plug too so who are we uh, plugging this week so i'd like to give a shout out to adam willis 
Willis, which is spelt W-I-L-L-I-S-S. Where can we find Adam Willis? Adam Willis, you can find him on LinkedIn. Uh-huh. Uh, he also has a website as well, www.guitarcrazy. Ooh, I'm liking the sound of this guy already. I thought you would do. Guitar Crazy. Yeah, www.guitarcrazy. Uh, hyphen westmidland.co.uk and his I've got him. got him yeah a reputable guitar and music shop it says here yeah so he sells guitars as well and also uh, repairs guitars now whilst they're not open at the moment um, due to the COVID restrictions he is still working very much online so you'll be able to see from his website he has some amazing equipment for everything from guitars to recordings and uh, is organising a click and collect as well. So he's making sure that uh, he's still offering a service. Yeah, I'm looking at his online shop now. He has a really well-stocked, a really well-put-together online shop. Maybe we should get this guy on and find out how he does his online shop. I know. I looked at that and I thought, oh, I want to get him on the show. Yeah, he's good. Brilliant. So, uh, yeah, go and have a look at guitarcrazy.co.uk. But I love that he's got a nice bright blue one and a red one. Oh, yeah, fantastic. I just wish I could play one. (laughs) Yeah, that might be a slight issue. You could have it for decorative purposes, maybe. So that pretty much does it for this week. Don't forget, if you are listening to the show on a regular basis let us know exactly what you think post a little uh, review uh, on your favorite podcast platform and don't forget to subscribe too because let's make sure you get future episodes in your phone device uh, and it also helps to big us up in podcast land too you can find us on social uh, at facebook instagram and linkedin just search for big little business show and while you're about why don't you go and check out the big little business club too where all our previous experts that we've had on the show come together to give you lots of extra advice so you can connect with all our previous experts on the show and get some help from them too. And that pretty much does it. Until next week, say goodbye, Claire. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Big Little Business Show with Paul Mumford and Claire Horsley. You can subscribe to get the latest episodes via iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn and everywhere you find your favourite podcasts. Come and find us at biglittlebusinessshow.co.uk and we're on Facebook too. Just search for Big Little Business Show. The Big Little Business Show is a PM2 Media and Excel Networking production.